Hello and welcome back to another episode of Detox for Vibrant Health. Today I have Rose Lounsbury. She is a minimalism and simplicity coach and the author of the book Less and a TEDx speaker. I'm so excited to have her here today. We will be talking a bit more about clutter and its relationship to several things dealing with feelings and emotions attached to your stuff, letting go of the fear of failure that's attached to your stuff, and how to reduce decision fatigue. And she's just got so many pearls of wisdom. I know you'll love this episode as much as I did. So stay tuned. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Detox for Vibrant Health. Today, I've got a special guest, Rose Lounsbury. She's a minimalism and simplicity coach, writer of the book Less, and a TEDx speaker. Welcome, Rose. Thank you, Jessica. I am very happy to be here. Lovely. I'm so happy that you're here today. And Maybe let's just get right into it. Let's start off with uh, telling us a little bit more about how you became a minimalism and simplicity coach. I think it's a great story, and I think people would really love to hear it. Certainly. Well, my journey is very much a personal journey, like I think probably most journeys are. Um, I started off as an English teacher. I was a middle school English teacher for about seven years. And after the first four of those years, I became pregnant with my triplets. So I have 10-year-old triplets now. um, But when they were born, I took a couple years off from teaching and I stayed home with them. And then when they were two years old, I went back to teaching full time. And so at that point, that was when I started to feel a lot of tension in my home because now I was no longer at home all day like I had been before. And so I was working all day and then coming home and I had three two-year-olds, which both of those things are pretty stressful. I think anyone who has ever been in a middle school understands that's a stressful job and anyone who's ever been around one baby understands that three babies is a lot of work. And so I had a really stressful life. And what I found was at the end of the day, you know, but there were things I loved to do. Like I love teaching and I obviously love my kids. But at the end of the day, when I had that like little tiny window of free time that working parents have, that's maybe like an hour long. All I did during that time was pick up stuff, picking up toys and shoes and sippy cups and moving piles of paper around. And I realized that I didn't have any time to relax, to sit down on my couch and chill out and refresh myself, which I think is important for everybody. But for me, it's a really important thing because I'm naturally an introverted person. So I need a little time every day to myself to just decompress and just be alone and recharge. And I wasn't getting that because the only time I had where I could do that, I was serving my stuff. And I really didn't know what to do about this problem. I thought that the answer was just to buy a bigger house because at the time, the house we were living in and still live in is just about 1,500 square feet. So we had, you know, two adults, my three toddlers, plus we had a live-in babysitter because we don't have family nearby. So we had another adult. So we had three adults, three kids and 1,500 square feet, not a lot of space. And I thought, well, if I just buy a bigger house, all of these problems are going to go away. Luckily though, for me, before I got to that step, because anybody who's ever bought a bigger house, 
knows that that's not true. You buy a bigger house, you buy more stuff and you have more stuff to put away, right? It doesn't actually solve your problem. And so before I got to that step of really looking into a bigger house, a friend of mine suggested minimalism. And I had never really heard of that term as a lifestyle. I thought of minimalism as an art type of thing, like, oh, minimalist art or decor. But then I started reading blogs about this and books about this, realizing that minimalism was a way you could live your life where you just have just what you need and not much more than that. And for some reason, it had never occurred to me to just get rid of the excess stuff as opposed to trying to pick it up and organize it and reorganize it all the time. So I started minimizing my stuff. And over about eight months, I would say I let go of about 70% of the things we owned. I did not keep statistics. I, I mean, I was just doing this whenever I could because I'm still teaching full time. I still have three toddlers. So I'm doing this in the evenings, on weekends, but it was like there was this drive in me to just get rid of everything that was sucking up my extra time because I had so little of that free time and I wanted it so badly that I was like, everything that's getting in the way of that needs to go. And so after about eight months, I looked around my house and thought, okay, I've, I've kind of done it, you know, and really now that was eight years ago. I realized that was just a first pass, but it was a huge pass, a first huge pass through my house. And so what I started noticing after that was that I had more free time. I had more time to relax. I felt more at peace. I could come home, be with my kids. And I wasn't constantly anxious about the stuff because there was this sort of like low level anxiety that was always going on for me in the back of my mind, taking care of the stuff, make sure everything's put away, make sure everything's in its place. It was just always there. And when you have less stuff, there's just so much less of that. So that was an immediate benefit that I noticed. So I was excited about that because really it wasn't the way my house looked. It was the way that I felt. I didn't feel that anxiety in my home like I had before. So I started a blog writing about what I was doing. It was just a personal blog writing about, you know, letting go of all my excess clutter. And then as a result of the blog, eventually people who were reading it were asking for my help in their own homes. You know, can you come to my house and help me do this? And so I thought, well, that would be kind of cool. Maybe I could do that. And so after a few years, I took a leap. I stepped out of my teaching career and I started my business going one-on-one -on -one to people's homes and helping them do this. And so I did that for a few years and then I wrote my book. And once my book came out, I had a bigger audience. And so I was able to reach people you know, outside of Dayton, Ohio, which, which is where I live. And so I started an online class, an online challenge where I helped people through the internet to, to do this. And I led them through in a challenge form how they could declutter their home. And so now that's kind of what I do. I speak about this. I help people online. I still do some one-on-one -on -one coaching in homes, but there's a lot less of that now. And so that's kind of how I evolved from just being a normal everyday person who's a working mom with little kids and is overwhelmed to somebody who now, this is what I do. I'm still a working mom with three kids. They're not as small anymore. Um, but I, my goal now, my mission in life is to help people find the peace of mind and the freedom that comes from living with less stuff. And so that's what I do through my writing and through my speaking and through my coaching and my courses. That is just really such a journey, such an important journey and a very interesting journey. And I want to back up just a little bit. I know, um, so this, there's so many good points here. One, 
I want to highlight, you said it took about eight months to let go about 70% of your stuff, but then you realized it was just kind of a first pass. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, what you do in your own life to sort of keep clutter at bay? Is this like, do you do passes every year? How do you do this? And do you have a specific time of year that you really like to make sure that you're on top of uh, the clutter, make sure that it doesn't pile up again. Yeah, that's really important to note because I think a lot of times people think that you do this and then it's done and you can check decluttering your home off your list. But that's not really how it works. If you think of getting healthy, right? It's not like you could suddenly become a vegan and run 10 marathons and then say, okay, done, check it off the list. Now I can just eat Cheetos and sit around all day. I have done healthy. That's really not the way that it works. So I did that major initial purge of the excess things. That was the most intense that I've ever done. But what I found is that stuff still creeps into your life, even if you try to keep it out. I mean, you buy things or people give you things, your kids get things from school or from grandma, or you, your insurance agent gives you a free koozie. I mean, all of these things happen and stuff just kind of comes into your life. And so you have to maintain your clutter-free existence if you want it to stay that way. So some of the things that I practice that I think probably a lot of people who live a minimalist life practice is the one-in, one-out rule. So generally, if something comes into my home, something new, I try to let go of something old. Now, I don't do that every single time, and I also don't make it be apples to apples, which I used to try to do. I would think, well, if my kids get a new stuffed animal, they're going to need to let go of an old stuffed animal. Well, when children are in the stuffed animal phase, I learned pretty quickly that there was just no way that was going to happen. It was painful. They were crying. I'm like, okay, this is going to result in therapy bills later. So I said, okay, my kids get something new if I can help them let go of something, right? Just so that they get that process of coming, something new comes in, something old goes out. Like this is a process. So if they got some new toys, you know, maybe they got two new stuffed animals, I'd say, well, are there any things in your room that you're done playing with that you've outgrown that you could give to a kid who doesn't have as much as you? And they might pick some books or some matchbox cars or something, but it was more important that it was that process of bringing new in and letting old go. And so I practice that in my own life. If I buy some new things, I'm probably gonna let some old things go. But even more than that, I just practice, I feel like I'm almost constantly just assessing my stuff. Like just the other day I was upstairs, you know, brushing my teeth and I'm like, man, why do I have all of these excess, I had some excess beauty supplies that, you know, were kind of dried up, but they were still in the, in the bin. And I said, okay, I'll just toss these just as I'm brushing my teeth. So I didn't plan to go through my beauty supplies that day and toss some, but it just is in my consciousness. It's a habit. So just like someone who's pursuing a healthy lifestyle, it's a habit for them to probably pick the salad. It's a habit for them to walk instead of drive if they're in walking distance. It's a habit for them to drink water instead of soda. These are things that they've done for so long, they're not really consciously thinking about it. They're just doing it every single day. And so that's really kind of what my life looks like. I, if I open up a cupboard and it looks a little cluttered, I'll just sort of pick out the things that like, oh, we don't need this, don't need that, or this is used up or 
I'm just naturally kind of doing it now. Whereas I used to wait till it built up to like a critical tipping point, which was when I felt absolutely crazy and I would try to do it all at once. And that resulted in, you know, like yelling at my spouse and like five trips to the Goodwill in one weekend. And so I often call that it's um, like special occasion decluttering where you're doing it like once a year, maybe twice a year, a huge sweep through the house. Whereas I practice more of an everyday habitual decluttering. So, but there are times when I do more than others. So around holidays and my children's birthdays, there usually will be a little more of a concerted effort, especially when my kids were, you know, six or seven. That's just the age where they're getting lots of toys from grandparents. And so there would be a focused decluttering around the holidays and around their birthday. Now that they're 10 and they're moving, you know, toward those tween years, it's really dropped off in terms of the amount of physical things they want. You know, they want video game gift cards and that kind of stuff that doesn't really take up as much physical space. So I would still say probably at least once a year, I go through my kids' rooms with them. And every so often, I honestly just go when like the mood strikes me in the rest of the house. So sometimes I'll just get inspired and be like, it's time to go through my clothes. I don't usually plan it. It just like, comes upon me, like the decluttering spirit, I don't know, comes upon me and I just do it. So I don't really have set times now, besides maybe holidays and birthdays, but I do a fair amount of decluttering. And one of the ways that I do that is I keep a constant donation box in my house. Mm -hmm. This was one of the first habits that I started when I started this journey was because I used to declutter as a special occasion, it was every, you know, maybe six, eight months, 12 months, and it was a crazy amount of stuff. But now there's a box in my closet where if I put on a shirt and I'm like, oh my gosh, the shirt has a hole or it's pilly or it's shrunk in the wash and doesn't fit right. What I used to do, honestly, was I would put those shirts back in the closet, even though I knew they didn't fit right or they were ripped or something. And then that would all build up to a critical point and I would declutter at once. But now I just take it off and I put it in the donation box right away. And my kids have donation boxes in their room. So we practice sort of this regular incremental letting go. And when the donation box is full, you bag it up, you take it in your car. Me, my husband, the other day, I just saw that he put some shirts in there. So it's a habitual, regular thing in my home now. And having those constant donation boxes is one of the ways that we practice this on a regular basis. Oh, I love that. And I love your analogy of um, healthy habits with clutter clearing. And yeah. now it's just kind of embedded in your DNA and you just get this sense, oh, it's time to, you know, I'm going to clear this out. Or, um, you know, as you said, just, you know, brushing your teeth, you notice some beauty products that you aren't really using anymore. And, um, you know, I think the exact same thing is true as you pointed out, you know, someone who is on the road to um, having healthy habits, you know, they drink water instead of soda, they load up on vegetables more than not, and they stay away from fried foods, you know, just a lot of things just come naturally without even thinking about it. And at the beginning, it doesn't though. And I think that's important mm -hmm. for people to realize if you're becoming healthy or you're, you're moving toward health, it's probably very difficult to drive by McDonald's because maybe you always would stop there and get yourself some French fries for the drive home. And when you have to consciously stop that habit, it's difficult and say, no, I'm going to go home and I'm going to make yeah. myself 
a fruit salad or whatever you're going to do. And so when I started decluttering, it wasn't natural at that point. I had to really think about, okay, do we really need all those books? And I had to really focus in on that. And now it's much easier for me to just go through and say, yep, nope, yep, nope. But at the beginning, it, it was a conscious decision. And I think that's important for people to realize because it might come across like I make it sound really easy. And it's actually not that easy, especially when you're starting off. There's a lot of emotional stuff tied up with our physical stuff. And that's why we avoid it. And that's why we don't want to do it. Because what it, it makes us face is probably things about ourselves that maybe we don't like or things about ourselves or our lives that might make us feel guilty or sad or bad. And so when we have to deal with maybe expensive things we bought that we never used, that's dealing with guilt for most people. So we'd rather just not look at that, you know, weightlifting machine that we bought for $2,000 that we used for one month and decide if we should keep it or not, because it makes us feel bad about ourselves because we spent money that we didn't maybe get the value for. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is, that is so true. I've done some decluttering as well over the years. And I, I haven't gotten to the point where I have created a really healthy habit out of that process, but I've become more and more aware of uh, this feeling of, of guilt, as you say, that sort of creeps in there. And I know that, you know, there's a lot of emotion with stuff and in your uh, TED talk, you brought up a few points and I wanted to get into this because this is so important and kind of goes along um, with my uh, Detox for Vibrant Health podcast um, idea of holistic detox. And what I talk about in my holistic detox program is body, mind, and environment. And decluttering and minimalism, it really contributes to each of those in terms of detoxing from uh, things that aren't serving us, right? right? And you had mentioned in your podcast, um, the feeling of minimalism is really what struck you, that it wasn't necessarily, and you just said it a little bit ago, it wasn't really exactly how your space looked, it was how it made you feel. And you had mentioned that you felt like you had more free time because you weren't constantly picking up. You had more peace of mind. You felt more calm and relaxed and not worried if people came over. You had more clarity. And this is really interesting. Uh, more clarity and mental space. And you, you did some amazing things with that extra mental space. You know, you wrote the book, you started your company. Um, and I love your point in your TED talk, home mirrors, your home mirrors, your mental state of your head. Yeah. And so can you talk a little bit more about this um, more emotional side of decluttering? I'd, I'd love for you to talk on those points a little bit more. Yeah, I really think that the emotional side is where everything is when it comes to decluttering. I think when we think of decluttering, we think it's just a physical thing because yes, everybody loves the before and after, right? We love a, a transformation. So we, we watch hoarders and you see the before and after, you're like, yes, everything is different. But what I always tell people is when you're dealing with your stuff, 
you're not actually dealing with your stuff. What you're dealing with are your feelings and emotions about your stuff. So when you're clearing physical things out of your home, what you're actually probably clearing are negative emotional things. So I'll give you an example of that. The most difficult thing for me to declutter hands down were my teaching supplies. So I had been a teacher for seven years. Mm -hmm. Teachers, we collect all of these things like binders of unit plans and student examples and all these things that I had created. And this was my quote unquote life, right? This was my life's work, was everything I had poured into my teaching career. And it was in boxes in the attic. And even years after I had started my business, I would not let those go. I couldn't let them go because I had I was hanging on to them as a sense of who I was. Like I am a teacher, I cannot let go of these things. But what I started to realize was that those teaching things were actually holding me back from the business that I wanted to have. Because if I wanted this business as a coach and as a speaker, I couldn't hold on to this former life that was a different life. And what I did was I would hold on to it to think, well, if my business fails and I have to go back to teaching, I'll have all those things. So really it represented my fear of not being successful. That's mm. what all of that physical stuff represented was a fear of not being successful. And every time I would step past it to get the Christmas decorations or the out of season clothes or put things in, you know, the archive tax records up there, I would, I would look at my fear of failure. That's what I looked at. This is my fear of failure in five boxes. And so about a year ago, so it took me, I say it took me five years and one hour to let that go. Five years to work up the courage, one hour to toss all of it. So I got up on a Sunday and this was one that I had to plan. I had to mentally plan it. I had to tell people I was going to do it. I had to speak it out loud and practice it before I had the guts to go up into that attic and bring those five boxes down and throw it all away. That is the hardest thing I have ever let go of because it was, it was me saying, I'm going to step out bravely and confidently into the life that I want to live. And I am not going to hold on to this fear of this life failing. And that's what that stuff was. And so what that did was it opened up, of course, a lot of open space. I would love to say that after doing that, I felt free and I was just, you know, dancing around my house, but it was, it was almost like jumping off a cliff in a way, letting all those things go. There was a lot of fear and letting it go. And then after I let it go, I was like, okay, now I'm really doing this. Like I've actually like pushed away from the shore and I'm on the ship and now I'm really on the sea and now I really have to navigate it. But what it did was it, allowed me to make space physically yeah there's more space in my attic but i didn't need that physical space but it made space in my mind and my heart for the dream of my business to become what i want it to be and that's what i needed more than the physical space i, I justified hanging on to it because i had the physical space but that honestly wasn't what it was taking up the most space as it was taking up the most space as psychological fear and so I had to, to get it out, to physically clear it, cleared it emotionally. And is fear of failure still in me? Absolutely. I'm not going to sit here and say that, oh, I'm total. I'm, I never have fear. I never doubt myself. I doubt myself every day. But there's something about knowing that I had the guts to kind of let go of the safety net 
and just move forward confidently that makes me more confident in what I'm doing. So that's one example of how physical decluttering creates psychological, mental, emotional space because it, it gets rid of, of that fear. Now, and then that's the same fear if you take it down to a smaller level, why people might hang on to extra t-shirts. Well, what if I need these t-shirts someday, right? I, I might need them. That was me hanging on to my teaching stuff. Well, what if I need my teaching things someday? I might need them. It's the same thought process, it's fear, right? Fear of not being prepared, fear of not having what we need. And we can, we can visit that fear as coffee cups or shoes or t-shirts or tools in the garage or supplies from a former career. It's this fear of not having what we need. And it's usually false. So one thing I tell people is if you're afraid of letting go, so everyone's hanging on to things just in case, right? Just in case I'll hang on to it. And so I'll tell people, well, what would happen? What's the worst thing that would happen if you let go of those things? And usually people have a hard time answering that. Like with my teaching supplies, what's the worst thing that would happen if I let go of them? Well, if my husband got hit by a bus and we needed, absolutely needed healthcare. I could go back to teaching because you know what? The absolute best lessons I have about how to be a teacher are in my head. I don't need that physical stuff. I know how to be a teacher because I know how. It's inside of me. So what's the worst thing that would happen if you let go of those extra t-shirts and suddenly, oh my gosh, you're going to be topless because you have no t-shirts. You can probably go buy a t-shirt for 10 bucks or five bucks or three bucks if you want to go to the Goodwill. The fear is often completely irrational and it, there's no actual thing, to, there's no actual catastrophe that will happen if you let go of almost anything, except maybe like your birth certificate, your passport, like those are, you'd have to go through some, it's not a catastrophe, but it would be a lot of annoyance to replace some things. But most of the stuff that we have and Han worry about, there is no catastrophe waiting on the other end of the line if that stuff is gone, none. And so I think if you can face the fear rationally, like actually follow it to its logical conclusion, you realize there's really nothing there. And then if you let go of it, you actually open up some physical space, you open up maybe some mental, emotional space. And that allows you to do really, truly amazing things. And so you had mentioned in my TED talk, I talked about some of the things that I did. So as a result, and this was well before I decluttered the, the teaching stuff, you know, this was just me decluttering toys and books and, and random stuff around my house was there was just a sense of calm in the home that I could sit down at the end of the day that I didn't have to be anxiously picking up or worried about keeping track of everything. There was just less to keep track of. And so there was this feeling of calm. And in retrospect, I can see this. I couldn't see it at the time. But because of that, I was able to dream more about things I wanted to do. Because realize your brain can only think one thought at a time. So it can be thinking about what to do with that pile of paper on the kitchen island, or it could be thinking about writing a book. It could be thinking, but it can't think about those two things at once. So if all your brain is thinking about is the pile of paper on the kitchen island, all of the stuff in your kid's room, all the stuff in the garage, oh my gosh, somebody's coming over, what are we going to do? There's shoes and bags and toys and stuff all over by the front, front door. That's what your brain is thinking about all the time. There's no space in that brain to think about starting a business or writing a book 
or adopting a child or starting a nonprofit or make all the things you want to do, whatever your dream is, running an Ironman, I don't know, whatever you want to think about or dream about, there's no space in your head for that when it is crammed full of trying to maintain and worry about your physical things. And so when you alleviate some of that mental burden by removing physical things, you will find thoughts that start creeping in. So like the thoughts about starting my business, the thoughts about writing a book, the thoughts about all of that stuff, they, weren't, they were always potentially there, but I didn't recognize them until I had removed the physical things that were taking up much of that space. So I think that's probably my best explanation of how it works, the, the relationship between your physical things and your mental state. And in retrospect now, I can see it so clearly that I let go of the physical things. I left a career that wasn't really right for me anymore at that time. So it wasn't a bad career, but it wasn't right at that time. I started doing this new thing and now I can see how this thing, and, and even as I've gone through, I'm still evolving as I learn to let go. And I mean, I'm in different phases of minimalism now where I have, I have simplified things in my financial life. I have simplified relationships. I am currently really working on simplifying my time and commitments and expectations, which is really hard for me because I find that much more slippery than physical stuff, like simplifying my calendar, my to-do lists, all of that. But every time that I go through that process of letting go of what doesn't serve me, whether that's a physical thing or a commitment, the rewards are, are incredible. I can't even overstate them. The rewards of letting go of something that doesn't serve you, it's unbelievable. And you know instinctively what those things are. You don't need someone else to tell you. You know if that pair of shoes or if that volunteer commitment is not right for, for you. You can feel it in your heart. And when you have the guts to, let, to face that fear and let go of it, you'll find your life's purpose. You'll find the kind of life you're meant to live. And I know that sounds kind of cheesy, but I believe it's honestly true. Wow. Yeah. Gosh, there's, there's so much that you've unpacked here and I want to dive into some more of the pieces a little bit more. You know, I, one thing I think is really interesting about the positive impact of uh, clearing the clutter, clearing the, the physical clutter even, is um, the reduction in decision fatigue. Oh, yeah. This is like a real thing. You know, if you're trying to go through your closet, you're trying to decide what to wear, you're looking for things, you're trying to, you just have your mind just chock full of so many things and you're trying to make decisions like, do I invite this person over? Do I you know, how, how am I going to sort out this mess over here? I've got to look at all these pieces of paper and decide which pile they go into. You know, you make decisions every single day. And I can't remember who said this, but it was something like, you know, we have the capability of making only so many decisions really well mm -hmm. um, during the day. And if we blow it all on what we're going to wear, where's that tax document? Where do I file this? with all of those kind of decisions that towards the later part of the day, we make really bad decisions or we procrastinate. Mm -hmm. And did you find that in your uh, shift as well? The 
sort of more of a reduction in that decision fatigue. Yeah, I love talking about these neuroscience aspects of decluttering because you're absolutely right. Our neurons can only make so many decisions per day. And there's a really great book called The Organized Mind that delves Ooh. into some of this. If you're into it, you should read that. Um, but he, there's actually plenty of science that shows that our brains can only make so many decisions per day. And our brain, we can, we can rank the importance of a decision. Like, should I marry this person? Obviously, more important decision than, you know, what should I get on my sandwich? However, your neurons can only make X number of decisions. So they're going to count marrying the person on par with what should I get on my sandwich? And so if you spend a lot of your decision-making power on little things that don't matter, it just leaves less decision-making power for things that do. So this is one of the reasons that... Um, I think it was Steve, Steve Jobs famously wore the same thing every day, you know, white shirt, black pants. Part of the reason is he knows that he has important decisions to make during the day and doesn't want to waste them on what do I wear that morning. So I simplified my closet about, gosh, this was maybe two or three years ago. I had a friend come over and help me because clothing for me was a difficult one because I had tied up a lot of my identity in my clothing. And so she came over, she helped me simplify my closet. And I immediately noticed an ease in getting dressed in the day, like getting ready for the day just felt easier. I felt like, okay, this is, doesn't require me thinking and sorting through. I used to try on multiple things in the morning. I can't remember the last time I tried on more than one thing. I don't know when the last time was that I tried on two things and was trying to decide. I don't do that. I just, everything in my closet is a yes all the time. Everything is in style. Everything fits me. I feel good and everything. And so it just simplifies one little aspect of your life. And my makeup is another example. I decrease to just the makeup I actually wear, which fits in like one tiny little skinny makeup bag. That's like a little pencil bag. It's one eyeshadow, one mascara, one eyeliner, one blush, one powder. That one lipstick, like there's, I don't need more than that. And so I used to hem and haw like, well, which eyeshadow should I wear? Which, which mascara, which lipstick, you know? And I would kind of go back and forth and spending all these little decision-making powers on stupid things, right? So by the, and all of this is happening before I even get to work in the morning where I actually have to make important decisions like what should I teach my students and how should I present this to them? And I've already wasted decision-making power on things that didn't matter. So you extrapolate that you know, throughout your home, you know, if you are trying to find your keys because you just, you don't have like a set place that you put them there, you're making decisions like, are they here? Are they here? Nope, not here, not here, not here. That's a decision every single time your brain is saying, not here, not there, try there. Nope, not there. And it just, it does, it creates an ease in your life that will be palpable to you, especially at first. Now I operate this way so much of the time, I don't think I notice it, but I remember at the beginning, noticing just the ease or like when people would come over, not having to suddenly clean the house really fast. You know, there was always this last minute, like, oh my gosh, someone's coming over, let me just quickly tidy up, you know, and it would take you know two hours quickly tidy up. And I, I didn't have to do that anymore. And there was just this moment of, oh my gosh, I, the house looks presentable and I don't feel the need to suddenly rush around and clean up a million things in this short time before they arrive. So yeah, there's a lot of freedom in clearing up your mind to make decisions that matter by minimizing the decisions that don't. Because every single 
thing in your home is a decision, whether you realize it or not. Every dish in your cupboard, you have to decide, am I going to use this plate or that plate? Is this plate clean or dirty? Do I need to wash it? Now it's washed. Where does it go? Oh, it goes here. Those, there's so many decisions that you make just deciding what plate to use, how to wash it, and when to put it back. We don't think about the fact that we are making those decisions every day, all the time. That's just one plate. Oh, yeah. And this is so important with regard to um, just even making healthy meals. Right? Oh, yeah. If you have massive decision fatigue before dinner time hits, um, and you don't have a set strategy or you feel like your countertop is too cluttered to really get into it, you might just default to, oh, I can't even think about this. I guess I'll just yeah. order pizza yeah. instead of making a healthy meal at home. Um, yeah, there's definitely, there's a ripple effect, I think, on, um, yeah, you declutter your home, you get mental clarity, you start making better decisions, and you're calmer. When you're calmer, that impacts your body in a profound way. And uh, you, you improve your health. You improve oh your gosh. health just yeah. by doing the decluttering a physical space, which seems really tangible, mm -hmm. helps you declutter your mind, a lot less tangible, helps to improve your overall health and well-being, which is it's also, it doesn't seem tangible at first, but you see this ripple effect. It's interesting to me. I actually wrote out a diagram probably about a year ago where I was noticing this pattern of, of decluttering and that people start on different paths. Like maybe you start by decluttering your physical stuff, which is where I started, which is where a lot of people start. But then a couple of years after that, I decluttered my finances and we became completely debt free. And I know that that was because I opened up the mental space to actually deal with my finances. I'm an English teacher. I don't like math. I don't like spreadsheets. I don't want to think about numbers. I hate all of that. But because I had this clarity, I had the energy and the ability to sit down and say, no, we need to actually look at what we owe, what's coming in. We need to know where our money's going. We need to be able to budget and say how much we want to spend on different things. And so we kind of got control of our finances and I know that that was a result of the physical decluttering. I know that. And then it kind of morphs into other areas of your life. So I decluttered a lot of my digital life. I don't charge my phone in my bedroom. I wear an actual physical watch that's just a watch. I have an alarm clock. I try not to take my phone with me if I don't need to. I don't have, al there are almost no notifications on my phone. I keep it plugged into the wall as much as I possibly can. So I decluttered some of my digital life. And then when you talked about health, that's been an interesting one for me because I sort of see it start to show up. So just over about a year ago, I became mostly vegetarian. So that just sort of happened. It's, these things just sort of like come on to me and I'm like, I'm just going to try that. And I don't do a lot of pre-planning, which I probably should, but I'm like, I'm just going to try becoming a vegetarian. And so I've maintained that. And then this past fall, I thought, what if I just gave up drinking, like just gave up alcohol? So about September of last year, I stopped drinking alcohol. I haven't had a drink since then. And then about two months ago, around Christmas time, I was like, what if I just stopped doing excess sugar, just stopped eating excess sugar? So that's been about two months. I will say that excess sugar one, by far the most difficult for me. <laughs> but it's been interesting to see what I find easier for me is if I just, as if I decluttered something out of my closet, it's gone and not an option. 
And so for me, trying to control, because I love sugar, trying to control my sugar and be like only one treat or only two treats. So this, I would spend a lot of my mental time thinking, well, how many treats? How many treats should you have? Should you have two or three? All of this. And, and when sugar, when the treats are just not an option, whoop, there's just no option. They're just not there. It's just not something I need to think about. It opens up a clarity for me. Now, I don't know if I will maintain this my whole life or not. I'm experimenting with it right now. But I see in my life, in my health now, this same thing happening that happened in my closets as I practice letting go of things and then just assessing what it's like. And I let go of also what I would consider punishing exercise, like hardcore boot camp type exercise. And now I do a lot of yoga and just more kind and gentle exercise that could also be because I'm approaching 40. Maybe it's time to stop doing the boot camps. But it just feels so much better to me to not punish my body, not view exercise as like a hard thing that I have to get through and it's going to be terrible, but as like this gentle, kind thing to myself. So all of that change has been recently happening. And I know, again, it's a result of me starting to declutter the physical things that I'm starting to declutter now some of those health things. I decluttered the money things. And it is, and I've seen people do this also with relationships, you know, like they'll suddenly have clarity about relationships they're in that are not serving them. And they either need to set boundaries for the relationship, or in some cases, they need to actually let certain relationships go. And it can be a result of starting that process of letting go of physical things in your home. So there are a lot of realms in which this simplifying practice can take place in your life. It doesn't have to just be your physical things. It's the same process, whether it's your physical things, your calendar, cookies in your cupboard, habits, you know, you're letting go of things that don't serve you, that don't make you the best person that you can be. Oh my gosh. You know, if this isn't enough to get people motivated to start taking a step towards decluttering their life and minimizing and only having things in their life that really serve them. I don't know what is. And I want to, um, I'm, I'm super excited already. You got me going. Um, There is, I just wanted to bring up um, as we start to wrap up the conversation, which has been amazing. You have a less method challenge coming up. It's a six week course. It's online. Uh, and it looks like it's starting on March 27th. So just one week after spring hits, this is like a great time for spring cleaning. And I am so excited about this topic. I'm talking about it all month long, spring cleaning. And I know that you have a, um, an early bird sign up discount. So uh, for anyone listening, going to roselansbury.com to get on the wait list to get the notification when the early bird um, uh, discount happens. And can you just take maybe just a couple minutes to talk about what people might expect in the course? Absolutely. So the six week decluttering challenge, what it does is it takes you through six key parts of your house. And we do this challenge live because what I found is that 
what people really need when they want to declutter their home is they need accountability and they need motivation and inspiration. Mm. So I teach it live and there's also a private Facebook group where people get a before and after contest every week where we cheer each other on. And so people get really good results from this course. So we go through six key aspects of your house. We go through your bathroom, your clothing, your kitchen. We deal with paper shared spaces like the living room areas you might share with other people in your house and then your storage areas and then this year for the first time i'm offering a bonus seventh week lesson on maintaining your progress so it's six weeks of focused on on different areas and then the seventh week is about maintenance and so what people can expect is a lot of enthusiasm a lot of cheerleading a lot of support fun. If this is something that you've been avoiding that feels overwhelming and you don't know where to start, this is what you want to sign up for because I give you the motivation and the inspiration and I tell you exactly where to start and exactly how to do it. And the, I recall the last method because that is a four-step method that I developed that I use with all of my personal clients and it's the method that I teach my students online to use. So I give you four clear steps that you're going to use with every single space and it's going to help you get that clean open space home that you're looking for and like you said it starts actually the course starts the challenge starts april 5th but the sign up begins march 27th so if you go to my website right now you can get yourself on the waiting list and that's roselounsbury.com r-o-s-e-l-o-u-n-s-b-u-r-y.com you can get on the waiting list and you'll be the first person to know when the early bird discount is available Wonderful. And, you know, I'm going to have a link to that in the show notes for today's podcast. And I'm, I'm just so happy that you were able to take the time today to come on to this podcast. And I can't wait to share it out to everyone. So um, with that, I just thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. That concludes another episode of Detox for Vibrant Health. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it and tag Jessica Green Wellness. And of course, please leave a review. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you and have a beautiful day.